Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. Before we can understand what the sin of adultery is, we must first understand God's design for sexual relations. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the pinnacle of God's creation was man, made in the image of God. As Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. And so, God created man in the beginning, and He created the woman in the beginning, and He did also institute marriage, just as Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The one flesh union is spiritual, and the marriage covenant two lives become one, but it is also physical. It is sexual union which consummates the marriage bond. And this is where we must begin if we are to understand the seventh commandment, which is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. God created sex, so it must be considered good. But like many other things, it is only good when it is enjoyed in a particular context. Wine is good, isn't it? It is. But it may be misused. Men and women sin when they drink wine to the point of drunkenness. And money is good. It is. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, we are told in the Scriptures. And so too, sex is good. But it may be misused, abused, and distorted. It is good when it is enjoyed by a man and woman bound together in the covenant of marriage. When two who are unmarried engage in sexual relations, that is called fornication. Deuteronomy 22, 28 and following speaks of the sin of fornication when it says, If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. Now we are not under the law of Moses as a civil law code, But we may learn from this law even still. It is fornication that is described here and not the sin of adultery. For neither the man nor the woman were betrothed nor married. 
And the, pen, and the penalty, you will notice, is not death, but a fine here in this passage, Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29. The sin of fornication is a serious sin. Uh, sexual relations are to be reserved for the marriage covenant, the marriage bond. But a more serious sin is the sin of adultery, wherein one who is married lies with someone who is not their spouse. That adultery is a more serious sin is made clear from the punishment prescribed under the law of Moses. Again, we are not under the law of Moses as a civil law code, but we may learn something about the seriousness of the sin of adultery from what it says. The adulterer and the adulteress were to be put to death under Moses. Deuteronomy 22.22 says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. I need to stress this once more. We are not under the law of Moses as a civil law code. These laws do not apply to us today in, in the same way. Indeed, the civil law code given to Israel under Moses was unusually strict given that Israel was set apart from all the nations to be a holy people. But we may learn something concerning the seriousness of the sin of adultery from the law of Moses and from Deuteronomy 22.22, which I have just read. Now, the penalty was death. I think we should acknowledge that we should not mess with the sin of adultery. It is so very destructive. And the law of Moses do, does help us to see how serious this is. And if we were to go even further to discuss even greater acts of sexual perversion, we would have to talk about the sins of bestiality and finally homosexuality. Concerning the sin of homosexuality, Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And the New Testament scriptures also speak against these sexual sins. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6.9 we read, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as I have said, to understand the seventh commandment in the sin of adultery, we must first understand God's design for sexual relations. God created sex to be enjoyed by a man and a woman bound together for life in the covenant of marriage. All other sexual relations are a perversion of God's design. Sexual immorality of all kinds is to be avoided, and especially the sin of adultery for when the sin of adultery is committed, the marriage covenant, which is a very sacred thing, is broken. Can the adulterer be forgiven? Yes, of course. The adulterer and the adulteress can be forgiven. And so too, the homosexual and the fornicator can be forgiven. I wonder if you heard what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians. He was writing to Christians, remember, and after speaking of the sins of sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexuality, among other things, he, he said to the, the Christians in Corinth, And such were some of you. Did you hear that? 
and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you, Paul said. And by this he indicated the Christians in Corinth were no longer these things. For they had turned from their sins, and more than that, they were washed, they were sanctified and justified through faith in Jesus the Christ. You know, it is common for those who practice homosexuality today and other sexually perverse people to speak in this way, saying, This is who I am. It is who I am. Cannot be changed. And there may be some truth to that. That is, to the statement, this is who I am. But look at what the Scriptures say. Who you are needs to change. That is what the Scriptures say. Paul said to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. This, this was the life that you used to live. Uh, this may even have been uh, your identity back then. Your sin being so closely tied to, to, to your way of life. But he said, such were some of you. Indicating that in Christ these who were once sinners, were washed, they were cleansed, they were changed. Such were some of you. Who you are needs to change. That is what God's Word is saying. God is calling you to turn from your sins and to Christ. And in Christ there is cleansing, renewal, and the forgiveness of sins. I wonder, who would tolerate the liar, the thief, or the, the adulterer, excusing their sins, saying, This is just who I am. No one does that. No one will excuse the, the thief who, who steals, saying, there's no problem with my stealing. It's just who I am. Or the liar who lies, there's no problem with my lying. It's just who I am. Or the adulterer who commits adultery habitually, saying, it, it's just who I am. My passions and my desires are so strong, they lead me in this direction, and nothing can change it. No one talks in this way. No, instead... Most would agree these need to change. God calls us to repent and to believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for renewal, so that it might be said of us, and such were you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The sin that is expressly forbidden in the seventh commandment is adultery. And adultery is forbidden because it is particularly damaging not only is it a perversion of God's design for sexual relations, it is also a breaking of the sacred covenant of marriage. And I do not need to describe to you the damage that the sin of adultery does in the lives of individuals and in families and even within society. But as usual, our catechism helps us to see that the commandment is to be interpreted and applied broadly. Not only does the seventh commandment forbid the sin of adultery, it also requires the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior, while forbidding all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. And the rest of the scriptures make it very clear that this is the proper interpretation and application of God's moral law on this point. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That is true. This is the sin that is to be forbidden. But, but its application is certainly more broad than this. Not only does the seventh commandment forbid you from committing adultery, it requires you to seek to preserve your own and your neighbor's chastity. Now, that is a very old-fashioned word, isn't it? Chastity. We don't use that word very often anymore. 
But I think that we should. It should not be old-fashioned. It ought to be on our minds and our lips. To be chaste is to abstain from extramarital or premarital intercourse. And the seventh commandment requires us to preserve our own chastity and also our neighbor's. I think this means that men and women should be careful not to bring temptation to those around them. And being mindful of this will affect the way that you dress, and the way that you talk, the way that you live. We should be mindful of these things, not only to keep ourselves pure, but to not cause someone else to stumble. This also means that husbands and wives should be generous with one another as it pertains to conjugal rights. For this does help to guard against temptation. And, and you may read 1 Corinthians 6, 18-7-5 again on your own time to, to see what I mean by this. Husbands and wives are, are to serve one another in this way. And notice how our catechism applies the seventh commandment to the heart. It does not merely mean that we are to guard our actions, but, but even our heart. The seventh commandment requires the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Again, the seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. God's commands are always to be applied to the heart, brothers and sisters. You should know this by now in our study of the Ten Commandments. And this is why Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the teaching of Christ. But I will say the same thing that I said last week. This was not new teaching. This was not Jesus' invention. This was not Jesus' extra strict interpretation of the Law of Moses. No, Jesus was simply drawing out and presenting the proper interpretation of the moral law of God uh, as it has always been. God's law has always meant to be applied to the heart. It, it was always meant to be applied to the heart. And again, we are to remember the summary of, of the law. It is to love God with all our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so again, here Christ is simply saying that the seventh commandment is to be kept from the heart and, and this was always the intent. Now, the words of Christ can be misunderstood. He is not saying that lust and adultery are the same thing. They certainly are not the same thing. Uh, the sin of adultery is far worse. But what is he teaching here? He is teaching that, that lust is the sin of adultery in the heart. Uh, lust, that is a sexual desire for someone not your spouse, is adultery in seed form. It is not adultery full grown but adultery in seed form. And Christ is here teaching us to root it out, to root it out before it becomes full-grown sin, the full-grown sin of adultery. I'll conclude our little study here on the Seventh Commandment with these words from 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, where Paul urges the Corinthians in this way, saying, Flee from sexual immorality, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have removed the guilt of our sin 
as we have studied these Ten Commandments that you have given, as we have studied this summary of the moral law, we, I think, or at least we ought to, be growing more and more aware of how we have sinned in many, many ways, and therefore stand guilty before you in our natural condition, but you have removed that guilt. Father, help us in particular with this sin, the sin of adultery, the sin of fornication, even the sin of lust. Lord, help us to apply your law in the whole of life and even to our own hearts. And God, we are asking for your help. You must renew us. You must change us. You must strengthen us. You must make us willing and able to keep your law. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Give us your grace for our good and for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.